Hey, everyone. Welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. And should we talk about the heat wave? Yes, holy fucking heat wave. It's literally ridiculous. My patients come in every day and they're like sweating their balls off. And I'm like, what is going on out there? They're like, it's 100 degrees. I'm dying. Yeah, it's really bad. My computer is currently overheating. If anyone is wondering what that noise is in the background, it is not my air conditioning. (laughs) I don't think you can hear it. So hopefully it stays that way. (laughs) (laughs) And if this is laggy at all, which hopefully it won't be, it's definitely due to this or whatever is going on because we, we can't figure out any other reason for this happening fucking heat wave yeah (laughs) do you have any recommendations or anything else you want to talk about before we get started yes i actually just started a new show last night because i couldn't sleep because i was sweating my balls off (laughs) and it's a new show i think it actually came out this year or 2021 and there's only one season it's on peacock and it's called one of us is lying it is really good Wait, somebody just recommended this. I think it was a podcast I listened to just recommended this. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's to sum it up, basically, there's these five kids and they're in a detention together in school and one of them dies and someone in the room potentially murdered them. Oh my God. And it's really good. It's on <laughs> I'm Peacock? only on episode two and it's really good. You said it's on Peacock? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. I have to watch. Yeah. I don't have anything. for you? No. I have still not finished Candy, which is really good, but I've been moving, so it's been fucking crazy over here, but hopefully things will slow down this weekend. (laughs) I mean, you have a lot going on with the move, so. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you'll get a, a moment once you're all settled in. Yes. But I'm really excited about this coffee review today. I'm going to jump right in. Okay, go for it. Yeah, so I guess I'm new to the world of Wegmans. Is that how you say it, Wegmans? Yes. Okay, there's none of these in Pittsburgh, by the way. And I didn't know what it was. I thought it was just like, I don't know, like Weiss or whatever. And I went the other day after work and I was like, holy fuck, this is like, for you Pittsburgh people, this is like Market District or like a giant Whole Foods it's fucking huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no idea. This is news to me. So we spent an hour and a half there food shopping because we were so excited about all the stuff. But that's where I found this coffee. So it is sold at Wegmans, at least. I don't know if there's if it's sold in any other stores, but I'll give you their website and everything. The brand is called Pop and Bottle. And it's an iced coffee. The one I got is a caramel cold brew oat milk latte. Yum. Yes. And it has lion's mane in it as well. I'll talk about that in a minute. But it's really fucking good. It's dairy free. There's no like added refined sugar. I think the sugar is from dates. So it's like pretty good, pretty healthy for you. And it's 80 milligrams of caffeine. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. So in case you want to check them out, let me pull up their website here. Their website is popandbottle.com. And, Bryn, you're going to love this. They have matcha oat milk lattes. 
<gasps> oh my gosh, I'm definitely getting something from them. I know. I know. I think a lot of the stuff is sold out online, but if you can find them in stores, at least I know they're at Wegmans, then you can try it there. But it's really, really good. I love oat milk compared to almond milk. As of recently, I've discovered this. I feel like it's creamier to me, but let me take a sip of it and see what it tastes like. It's so fucking good. So it tastes like right off the bat, you can taste like the sweetness, but you can tell it's not like a chemical. It's like a very, very natural sweetness, like from the dates, I think. And then you can definitely taste the caramel. Oh my God. So as soon as you take a sip of it, you can taste like the oat milk, the creaminess. And then at the end, it's the caramel. Just real quick, I want to talk about lion's mane because I had to look it up at like what exactly were the benefits. And it's, I don't know how true this is, but you know, take it as it is. It's said to help anxiety, depression, and cholesterol. So check it out. But I've heard good things about lion's mane. I just don't know too much about it to be repping it. So what would you rate this coffee? I would give this one an eight. It's a really good like summer coffee. It comes in a nice little can. The packaging is awesome. Yeah, I would give this an eight. Okay, yay. I'll have to give them a try. So good. Just like Kelsey had done last episode where I reviewed a coffee and then she gave a coffee to make from Pinterest, we are kind of flip-flopping it this week and she just reviewed a coffee and I'm going to give a coffee that I found haven't made yet but it sounds fucking bomb and I'll let you guys know what it is so it is called a Biscoff cloud coffee oh my god you know those Biscoff cookies yes it has that in it (gasps) those are amazing yes so Basically, to sum it up, I'll also post pictures with how delicious this looks and sounds. But to sum it up, it includes oat milk, espresso over ice, a coffee cloud, and Biscoff crumbles and a Biscoff cookie. Yum. To make it, it says in a bowl, you add coffee, hot water, and granulated sugar. You whisk for about five to eight minutes to create that cloud and set that aside you fill a glass with ice and you pour your dairy-free milk over if you so choose preferably oat milk according to this recipe but you can use whatever kind of milk you like you fill the glass with how much milk you like you brew your espresso you pour it over the milk you put that coffee cream mixture that you made on top and then you put crumbled biscoff cookie and a cookie on the side Oh, my God. It seems like so easy and it's vegan if you use that oat milk or almond milk and it looks delicious and it probably tastes just as good. We should have a night where we just make all these recipes. Agreed. Absolutely (laughs) agreed. I'll post that whole recipe. The place that I got it from, I had found it through Pinterest, but it was from a blog called thelittleblogofvegan.com. So I can't quite rate that coffee, but I'm sure it's delicious. (laughs) That sounds really good. Good find. Yeah. If anyone tries it, please, as always, like we say, let us know how it tastes because you might get to it before we do. Yes. Please let us know. All right. Are you ready to get into it? Yes, I am. All right. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. Today's episode is about the Hinter Kafek murders. 
So a little bit of background of these murders. They occurred about 43 miles or 70 kilometers north of Munich, Germany. So this is in modern day Weidhofen, Bavaria, Germany. This took place on a small Bavarian farm. It was rural and isolated. My God, there's that word rural. Rural. <laughs> it fucking sucks. That Whoever made up that word sucks. I feel like I'm vomiting in my mouth as I say it. <laughs> Literally, like, our tongues, our tongues should not be saying that word. <laughs> but it, it's even worse when you're saying it on mic for other people to hear. Like, it makes you feel <laughs> ten times more awkward. So true. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> the farm was also known as the Hinterkaifeck Farm, and it was built around 1863. The Gruber family had lived at this farm, and the members of that family were Andreas Gruber, Kazelia Gruber, their widowed daughter, Victoria Gabriel, and Victoria's children, Kazelia and Yosef. Their maid, Maria Baumgartner, who was 44 years old, was also present at the home. Prior to the incident, we are about to discuss some strange things started happening around the farm. About six months before the murders, the Gruber's maid had quit. And allegedly, she heard strange sounds in the attic and thought the home was haunted. And this is why she ended up leaving. So I don't blame her. Yeah, that's really creepy. Yeah. She, apparently, she described some of the sounds as footsteps. So it sounded like people were walking upstairs. She also felt like she was being watched. One article said that she heard voices as well. At that point, there's no fucking way I would be out. Mm -hmm. The family had also allegedly heard the sounds, but Andreas called her fears of ghosts superstitions. The new maid Maria had arrived at the farm on the afternoon of Friday, March 31st, 1922. Her sister had taken the trip to the farm with her, but then she left shortly after she dropped her off at the farm. Mm. That's so creepy. I know. I just feel like this is just setting the scene for something eerie. Yeah, and I wonder how the children kind of were reacting to those sounds and potential hauntings. Right. Or if they were kind of kept from that by the parents because the kids were really little. Yeah, I mean, they were seven years old and two years old, or they were open to it and they were seeing these ghosts and quote-unquote ghosts and were like, cool with it, you know? Yeah. Or just were completely oblivious since they were so little. Yeah. So March 31st, 1922, on this night, which was, as Kelsey had mentioned, Maria's first night in the home, their new maid... The entire Gruber family and their maid Maria were brutally murdered. I cannot even believe, like, it's literally her first night there and this happened. Yeah. If she had showed up, like, one night later, she potentially would not have been murdered. That's insane. That's crazy. But I wonder if it were, if it happened that way because of her showing up. Right, right. This is a quote from Ranker.com. Quote, a doctor performed autopsies on the six victims and determined they had probably been killed with a mattock, a hand tool used in farming that has a long handle and a wide head with a chisel on one end and a blade on the other. 
At this mm-hmm. point, we are going to include graphic crime scene details, some including children. So this is your trigger warning if you want to jump ahead or turn the podcast off. Andreas, his wife, Cazelia, their daughter, Victoria, and her seven-year-old daughter, Cazelia, were all found murdered in the barn. Andreas was found with blood caked all over his face, and his face was also described as quote-unquote shredded. Oh my god. His face was so mutilated that his cheekbones were sticking out of his face. I just hope to god that he didn't he was not alive for that. That is so beyond horrifying. I'm trying not to picture it, but I'm picturing like Freddy Krueger. Yeah, like ugh. but worse. Horrible. That's just so horrifying. We're going to refer throughout to the Cazelias as the older Cazelia and the younger Cazelia because the one Cazelia was the grandmother and then the one Cazelia was the child. Mm-hmm. So the older Cazelia had multiple blows to the head and her skull was cracked. She also showed signs of strangulation. Victoria also had blows to the head and face. Signs pointed to a blunt object and her skull was shattered as well. Little Cazelia's jaw was shattered. There were also slash-like wounds all over her neck and face. Like, this person seriously had some issues. Like, major overkill. Horrifying. And like how can you do this to somebody? Yeah, I was just going to say, to even, even without the overkill of it, to do this to anyone, let alone six people, this brutally, and including children... It's just, like, unfathomable. Yeah. These four family members were found stacked on top of each other and covered with hay. It is thought that the killer or killers lured some of the family members to the barn through the stable one by one. Oh, my God. So that's, like, the theory that investigators came up with was they were somehow lured there and then as they entered they were killed like one at a time right because like how does it happen all at once you know Mm -hmm. such such brutal murders all at once yeah it is then believed that the killer or killers went into the home which is where yosef and maria were found murdered yosef was found in his crib in his mother's room oh god Maria was found in her bedroom. They were found covered with sheets and a dress, and they had also been beaten in the head and the face with what was thought to be the same weapon. This weapon was not found at the crime scene. This I just can't even like picture how horrifying this is to to the how scary this night must have been for everybody. Yeah, so horrific and gruesome. I just hope that no one knew what was coming and that for most of them anyway. It was quick. Because we will get into that for most of them anyway. Hopefully it actually was quick and they didn't even know what the fuck happened. Yeah. So now on to the investigation. This crime scene had been discovered days after the murders took place. April 1st, 1922. People had become concerned when little Cazelia hadn't shown up to school. She then missed school on Monday, April 3rd as well. On April 1st, 
coffee sellers Hans and Edward Shabrowski also arrived at the farm to take an order. No one responded to them knocking on the door or the window, and they walked around the yard and didn't see anyone home. They said that they noticed the gate to the machine house was open, but they ended up just leaving. It was also noticed when the Gruber family didn't show up for church on Sunday. So, I mean, I feel like little by little people are like, okay, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Like they're not coming to school. They're not coming to church. Something is going on. Mail had been piling up at the post office for the Gruber family as well. So just another sign that like, you know, somebody had noticed that, you know, something's going on. April 4th, 1922, Albert Hoffner went to see the farm to repair the engine of a food chopper. He didn't see anyone or hear anything while he was there. And he ended up waiting for an hour and then decided to just start the job. He was there for about four and a half hours working on the machine and then he left. Also on April 4th, a search party was formed by neighbors and Lorenz Schlittenbauer. Lorenz had a past relationship with Victoria Gruber, so that's how like he knew you know the family and that's why you know they, they started the search party. Some articles state that the searchers consisted of Lorenz Schlittenbauer and two men named Michael Pohl and Jakob Sigel. The search party then discovered what was described above, which is absolutely horrifying. You know, I feel like your worst fears are that something horrible happened and then to come to find that, like, I can't even imagine. Right, and something that brutal. That's like something you can't even imagine. No. Reportedly, Michael and Jakob said that Lorenz's behavior was suspicious and that he seemed calm and comfortable to touch and move the bodies, which is really weird. Yeah, but then again, I mean, maybe he was in shock or something. Right. I mean, people react differently to horrible situations like this. Like, you can't really judge the reaction, but I mean, it's, it's a bit weird. Yeah. We should also note here that the initial investigation was somewhat hindered As multiple people had interacted with the crime scene, things were touched and bodies were moved around. So, I mean, this is a classic occurrence for things that have happened years and years and years ago. And it's just like, it's sad that, you know, the crime scenes have been ruined in some cases because people are just trying to help. Mm -hmm. Or they're not properly closed off like they know to do now and people just like trample the scene or right whatnot oddly though they had also found the farm animals and the family's dog had not been harmed which is strange considering how horrifying the murders were they had actually been fed and taken care of in the days between the murders and the discovery of the gruesome crime scene and the cows had even been milked so like who did that That almost makes me think that, I mean, we'll get into theories and stuff later, but that almost makes me think that it was something where someone had a jealousy of the family or of their fortune or of their farm and they like murdered them or in a fit of rage or whatnot and then kind of like lived their life for a little while. Right. Like, oh, I'm going to live like they did. Right. Like, they then milked their cows and took care of their farm. I mean, it makes it seem like they at least knew the family in this case. Yeah. 
It was also noted that food had recently been eaten in the home. Smoke had been seen coming from the chimney during the days in between. And authorities believe that the fucking killer was living in their house for days when they had been murdered outside. Yeah, I had read, too, that because that smoke was billowing from the house, that's a reason why people didn't jump to the conclusion that something was wrong right away, even though the family had been missing from church and the daughter hadn't gone to school because they're like, oh, they're home. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you see things like that. You see that the animals are taken care of. You see smoke coming from the chimney. Like, you're like, okay, at least, you know, they're home. Right. The autopsy reports came back showing that four of the Grubers and the maid Maria most likely died instantly. However, and here's where it gets graphic again, just as a forewarning, little Cazelia did not. Oh, God. This is, and remember, she's seven years old, which is just so beyond heartbreaking. This is a quote from grunge.com, and there was a lot more detail than this, but I thought this summed it up to the point that it needed to be summed up. I didn't, yeah. I, if anyone wants to look into further detail, you can do that in your own time. Quote, the autopsy revealed that she had lived several hours after the murders, and clumps of her own hair found in her hands suggest that she had torn out her hair in distress before dying of shock. I, like, my whole body has chills right now. It's so beyond disturbing. I can't even imagine anyone going through yeah, I can't imagine anyone going through this, let alone a little child. To see all of that, and then I, I just can't even think about it. That's horrifying. Not long after the autopsies came back, their heads were reportedly removed and sent to Munich, Germany. They were to be examined further, and psychics and clairvoyants were also hired to try to get clues or information from their skulls. Why the fuck they thought they needed to send a psychic skulls of the deceased in order to do this is absolutely beyond me. Yeah, I mean, if you're a psychic, you don't need I mean, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's it's horrible. Like, why do you need the heads of the person that died and these like, people had been through enough trauma to their bodies without having to have their heads removed and sent separately from their bodies somewhere just it's it's almost it's it's just disgusting this whole thing is insane i wonder if that was like part of the practice or a belief back then that a psychic needed a body part or something in order to connect if that was just part of the way of thinking in the 1920s but i don't see any reasoning behind that to be honest agreed and no answers came from even doing this so it was like all for nothing yeah throughout the investigation police interviewed locals and transients Some articles stated that more than 100 suspects were interviewed, some as recent as 1986. Moving on to theories, police looked into several theories. One of them was vagrants. One of them was Lorenz Schlittenbauer, which was Victoria's ex. One of them was Andreas, with the crime being a murder slash suicide. 
Allegedly, there could have been an incestuous relationship between Andreas and his daughter, Victoria. A little backstory. Seven years before the murders in 1915, Andreas and Victoria were convicted of incest. Andreas was sent away for a year, and it wasn't really mentioned where in any article. So I don't know if it was a prison or a facility or just another country. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And Victoria served one month in jail. Some people believed Yosef was the son of Lorenz, while others believed he could have been the son of Andreas. Wow. Yeah, and I had read in further in a couple articles that Lorenz actually believed Yosef was the son of Andreas and for a while had refused to pay for him or provide for him in any way. And then a little further down the line, he agreed to be in his life and that maybe that he was actually the father. Mm -hmm. No one knew the true identity of Yosef's father, but potential motive could have been tied back to that for both Andreas or Lorenz. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a common theory. And again, we'll say allegedly about this whole situation involving the incest or Andreas. Right. It's like, I don't know how to feel or what to say about it because nobody in the family is here to confirm or deny. So. Yeah. And I feel like in the 1920s and way back when we've seen people accusing people of certain things and they're not, there was a different process and procedure with convicting of people of things back then. Right. So it could have not been accurate. It could have been hearsay. Like, who knows? Right. So these theories were ruled out as follows. Vagrants were ruled out because nothing was stolen from the farm and large amounts of money and jewelry were even found in the house. Some of it even in plain sight. So they were basically like, that's ruled out. Lorenz was ruled out because police couldn't place him at the crime scene. And Andreas was rolled out because none of the family's wounds were self-inflicted. So another popular theory was that the murder was Carl Gabriel, who was Victoria's husband. In 1914, Gabriel had been KIA in World War I. People who believe this opinion theorize that Gabriel didn't actually die. Speculation is that he came home and saw that his wife had been with another man and had another child with that man. This would have caused murder in a fit of rage. This theory had also been ruled out as millions of Gabriel said they saw him KIA. I mean, I feel like people, that one's kind of just sounds like a rumor. Yeah, I think so too. And people just freaking rolling with something and coming up with this crazy shit. Like, oh, he didn't actually die. Blah, blah, blah. It's like there's no background for that. Yeah. Some other strange happenings before the murders. Aside from the mysterious sounds in the attic and the family thinking the house was potentially haunted, uh, in March of 1922, Andreas had found a newspaper from Munich on the property. He didn't remember buying the paper, and no one in the vicinity subscribed to that paper. So. It's not like a postal worker had accidentally dropped it off there. And then days before the murders, Andreas told some of his neighbors that he had found tracks in the snow that, quote, 
led from the forest to a broken door lock in the farm's machine room. And that was a quote from Wikipedia. So all just like really weird things, but there were no footprints leading away back to the woods. So that, I mean, that in itself is just weird. Right. And tying back to the machine room, there had been, I think it was the coffee people on the property who came and said that they walked around, they didn't see anything, but they saw the machine room door open. Right. That kind of ties back into that. Right. So who knows? I mean, it's weird that, you know, like, why aren't their footprints going back? You know, I don't know. The whole thing's weird. I think there's no footprints going back because someone went into their house and was living in their house. Oh, yeah. And then it's just a strange, I don't know, just a strange thing to notice. Yeah. The attic was searched when they heard footsteps, but Andreas found no one there. One of the two house keys had also disappeared. These details were told to neighbors and other people, but were never reported to police. So probably after the fact of the murders that came out, everyone was kind of getting together saying, they said this, they said this, and it's like all a bunch of just strange things happening before the murders. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving into the aftermath. One year after the murders, Hinterkaifeck Farm was demolished, which is also strange in itself. Right. That's like, almost like, wasn't there a case we had covered in the past where the building was knocked down? Yeah, it was, um... Oh, it was the poltergeist one. Yes. And that house was, like, gone. Yes. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, oh my gosh, that was weird. I mean, granted, maybe the people of the town were like, we can't bear to have this here with the atrocities that happened in it. Right, like we can't look at it. We don't. No one wants to live there. It's kind of like a waste of space at this point. Yeah, but it's like one year after. That's real. That's moving real fast. Yeah. During the demolishing of this house, additional evidence was revealed. Police found a mattock hit hidden in the attic. That's a rhyme. <laughs> How do you ever say that? Okay. Police found a mattock hidden in the attic. And a pen knife, a.k.a. a pocket knife, in the hay in the barn. I'm sorry, but how the fuck was this missed? I thought the exact same thing. That's so strange. Like, how do you miss that? Well, especially since I thought it was crazy that the investigators were assuming that that is the type of tool that was used Mm -hmm. as a murder weapon. And they were correct in thinking that. So they were literally looking for that and didn't right. find it. Right. It's like, how? Unless they never checked the attic for whatever reason, which I'm going to kind of get into a little further down because it was kind of unclear. Mm-hmm. But also, why would they never check the attic when it was made clear that there were noises coming from the attic by their old maid? Right. And what if the noises weren't a ghost and there was actually the person that murdered them living up there and just plotting their murder? That's exactly what I think happened. Yeah. Yeah. Which means they would have been living there for at least six months. Right. That's so creepy. Yeah, because their first maid had left six months beforehand. Oh, my God. Which also makes me think when the new maid came into the house... And they were murdered that night. 
Did she happen to stumble upon something or see something where the person had to be like, okay, now I have to kill everyone? Right. Because it's just odd coincidence. Well, not coincidence, but odd timing that that happened the night she got there. Agreed. As far as we can tell, no one found who the pocket knife belonged to. Although the former maid said she may have seen that knife during her time at the farm. Mm. So obviously thoughts are that this pocket knife could have belonged to the murderer. Mm -hmm. Food scraps had also been found in the attic and tiles had been moved. AKA the family below could have been watched from the attic. No wonder the fucking maid said she was feeling like she was being watched. Yes. how disturbing is that honestly i've heard way too many fucking stories about people living in other people's attics and then murdering them like i don't want to have an attic ever ew i'm getting so creeped out even talking about this right now i feel like someone's watching me (laughs) do you have an attic yes oh my god go check i have two attics in my house timo needs to go check on those monthly (laughs) Well, the one time, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told this story. You know what? I'll tell it at the end so I don't interrupt. Just remind me to tell the story of the attic at the end okay. of the podcast. Okay. It was unclear whether these pieces of evidence were discovered during the initial investigation or one year later when the weapons were found. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> so again, had they ever checked the attic before one year later? Right. I don't understand how they couldn't have. I don't either. Six people die. And what if when they found those, like, they had said that this person had been living in the house for days after the murders, right? What if when the bodies were found, he was still in the fucking house? Right. Where was he when Andreas went looking in the attic? I don't understand. It's so disturbing. The whole thing is so disturbing. Yeah, I need to, like, see this attic. Yeah. The Grubers were buried in nearby Weidhofen Cemetery. A few articles mentioned Maria being buried there as well. They were buried without their heads because not only did they endure a horrific murder and not only were their heads removed for absolutely no reason, But their heads were then subsequently lost during World War II. Shut the fuck up. That is so beyond disturbing and disgusting and just not, like, there's no reason for it and no excuse for it. These poor people. I don't understand. I feel like they had, they shouldn't have even removed their heads from them in the first place honestly the reasoning was ridiculous if you ask me Uh it just doesn't make any sense (sighs) a profile of what type of person may have committed this crime has since been developed it is thought that the perp or perps had to have been familiar with farm work because the killer maintained the farm And they also knew how to handle a Matic, although in an absolutely brutal and inhuman way. Right. 
potential grudge against a member or members of the Gruber family was also thought to be part of this person's profile. A monument now stands near where the farm was honoring the victims, and there is a memorial at the cemetery as well. A man named Yosef Betts had named Peter Weber as a suspect since all of this happened. The two had worked together in 1919 and or 1920, and according to Betts, Weber had suggested killing Andreas to get the family's money, but stopped talking about it when Betts didn't oblige. Hmm. So that's like one suspect or theory that swung around after the fact. But like, why so late, you know? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of those that we're going to get into, which is crazy because it's like, why do people wait this long to fucking say something? Right. If that's the case. Former maid of the Gruber family, the one that left six months before, had suspected brothers Anton and Carl Bickler of committing the murders, along with George Siegel. She said Anton and George had previously worked at slash helped out on the farm and knew the premises. She also said they would have known of the family fortune. According to the former maid, the Thaler brothers were also suspected and they had committed some minor burglaries in the area before the murders. Yeah, I just, I don't know. There's so many possibilities. Mm-hmm. In 1951, Adolf and Anton Gump were investigated. On her deathbed, their sister said that they committed the murders. Adolf had died in 1944, and Anton was taken into police custody And the case against him was discontinued in 1954 because there was no proof of him committing the crime. In 1971, a lady named Teresa came forward with information. She said that two brothers named Carl and Andreas committed the murders and that she overheard their mom telling her mom this when she was 12 years old. So, I don't know. I feel like a bunch of people coming forward after the fact doesn't do much to help, you know? Yeah, and how old was she now that she was coming forward and she heard this when she was 12? Right. Carl and Andreas' mother committed suicide at some point by setting herself on fire in her kitchen. Holy shit. That's, like, really scary. I, I That is literally terrifying. Like, why? I don't understand that. This information was dismissed due to lack of evidence, and there was also proven to be no connection between the men and the Gruber family. In 1999, a woman contacted authorities with information saying that her former landlord admitted to having info about the case. Fucking 1999, are you kidding? Mm hmm. Supposedly, this claim was made back in 1935. Why it took her, like, 65 years to report this whole situation is, you know, another question. But they investigated the tip, and it didn't really go anywhere since the person who may have made the claim was no longer alive. So, it's like, at that point, why would you even say it, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, how are they supposed to even start investigating that? I don't understand. In 2007, which was 85 years after the murder, 
Filston Fedbrook Police Academy took on the Hinterkaifeck murders as a cold case, despite the degradation and loss of evidence from the original crime scene, the death of various suspects, and the relative crudity of the initial investigation. The Academy was unable to conclusively solve the murder, but they did devise a theory that has been kept private out of respect of the families of those involved. And that was all a quote from grunge.com. Amazing that they took on the case after as a cold case. Yeah, and as part of a police academy project, that's, right. that's incredible. They should do that with a bunch of cold cases. Just have academies try to solve them. Agreed. Ranker.com stated that they ruled out all but one suspect. Their quote-unquote suspect had passed away, which is this person wasn't publicly named because they were living family members of this person in mind, which I understand. Mm-hmm. Depending on the evidence and how damning or solid it was, hopefully they would have a name of a potential killer, whether dead or alive. Assuming they don't have enough hard evidence to do so and it's that it's more of a suspicion. Yeah. Because why else wouldn't you name somebody if you if you had proof, but Right. Like I understand them I understand them not wanting to name someone randomly because family you don't wanna just name someone who's not around anymore and their family still is. Right. But if they had hard enough evidence to be like, this person without a doubt fucking did it, like if it was like DNA evidence or something like that, mm-hmm. I would assume they would they, – they wouldn't care about the respect of the family. Yeah, I don't even think it would you would be allowed to keep that right. information, you know? Right. In 2017, the book The Man from the Train by Bill James and Rachel McCarthy James – states that a man named Paul Mueller may have committed the murders. This is discussed in the last chapter of the book. James thinks that Mueller killed dozens of victims. This case has similarities to other suspected crimes of Mueller, which is how they think that he could have potentially been tied into this one. Mm -hmm. And if some of you remember, we had also mentioned this book and man as a potential suspect in our Velisca Axe Murders episode in episode 73. Oh my god, I just got the chills. Remember the man from the train? Yes. I actually had a couple people, and I think shout out Jen was one of them, asking what the name of the book was again because she wanted to read it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. It has now been 100 years since the vicious crime. As of today, the Hinterkaifeck murders remain unsolved. Wow. And this case is one of Germany's oldest unsolved murders of a family. I just, I can't even imagine not knowing who did such a horrific thing to so many fucking people. No. Like it, it, being, you know, part of this family or even close to the family or in the community. It's just horrifying to think about. Yeah. Wow. And to not only commit such a vile and 
disgusting murder, but to also have a child suffer through it and just like leave the child like that while you're living your life in the house for the next couple days and working on the farm and taking care of the animals. That's just a whole other level of evil. Yeah, I I just, I can't believe this case. It's like one of the most horrific we've heard in a while. I know. I wish there was a way to solve this. I feel like the evidence they had, especially the, the way it was trampled through or the negligence of it or maybe even just the way it was stored, I feel like there's a lot of reasons why they probably can't come up with some kind of solid evidence for this case to find someone right i mean i just wish that there was like some shred of dna evidence that they could pull up and like i don't know use it to compare it to like one of their family members that's still alive or like Mm -hmm. i don't know i just wish that there was something that they could do i wonder if they properly stored the pocket knife or the Matic or anything. Right. Or even a cup or a fork or a knife that the person used, I'm assuming, to eat food. So many questions. Yeah. Or if that wouldn't have even crossed their mind back then to keep stuff like that since DNA technology didn't exist. Oh, um, tell your attic story. I almost forgot. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, well, thank God there wasn't a human in my attic, but <laughs> one. One night, Timo and I woke up in the middle of the night with our fire alarm going off, and I thought it was the one in the hallway, and we couldn't find where it was coming from, and we ended up realizing – this was like 3 o'clock in the fucking morning. We ended up realizing that it was coming from the attic. (gasps) Yeah, and – our one because we have two attics in our house so it's like one of those ones where you need a ladder and it's a push panel and you go in and there's exposed insulation and stuff my one attic is like that and timo literally had to cheer lift me into the attic and it was (laughs) three in the morning and i was half asleep and i was also in a partial panic because of the movie paranormal activity Remember where they find that picture in the attic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's oh what all I was thinking about as he was cheerlifting me into this fucking dark attic at three o'clock in the morning. I'm just And picturing... I had to like pull out the fire alarm real quick and jump down. I'm just picturing the situation, like literally trying to do it as fast as fucking possible because you're so tired. I literally ripped it out of the ceiling and just threw it on the floor. Oh and I was like close the close the fucking attic (laughs) so why was it going off it was just like needed batteries there must have been a bug or something that crawled into it oh my god like a spider or something yeah at least it wasn't a human yeah oh my god but it was also three in the morning so i was just in a full-blown paranormal panic oh my god that is literally terrifying i would have been so scared i would have never went up there Yeah, and you know when you're really startled out of a deep sleep? Yeah. It was like that, and then us just running all over trying to find the fucking alarm that was blaring, and then... (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but I'm just glad that it wasn't. A, oh my god, I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. Honestly, I've heard too many fucking stories. I don't like that. I don't have an attic. Thank Jesus in heaven right now. I don't have an attic. <sighs> All right, should we do our spiel? Yeah, let's do it. Unless you have any other thing you want to mention. Oh, I wanted to say one more thing. Shout out Tammy. Remember the book that I recommended, The Good Daughter by Karen Slaughter? Tammy had already started it. Oh my god, really? Yeah, she told me at work today that she heard it on the podcast and started it. Oh, that's so cool. So you know where to find us on Facebook and Instagram at Crime Cults and Coffee. Facebook is where we post our weekly resources and photos from every episode. And our Instagram, we have uh, our link tree in our bio with all of our listening platforms. And we also post our coffee recommendations. And in this case, um, the recipe that Bryn talked about this week. If you want to give us a case suggestion or a listener story, you can DM us at Crime Colts and Coffee on Instagram or send us an email at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com. Also, if you want to leave us a nice rating and review, go to Apple Podcasts and please do so. You will get some free stickers. Ooh. If you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, you can follow, you can like, you can subscribe on any listening platform of your choice. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook